Ezekiel that's unique. Now, for those who don't know a lot about the book Ezekiel, it's a fascinating text. Um, the, the premise of Ezekiel is all of, all of the Israelites have just went crazy. All right, we, and we can like we can we can picture this in our culture. Everybody just went crazy and forgot what they were doing, and so they had these these big temples where they were worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden they just stopped and they they started chasing idols and started worshiping pagans, and so this was this was going on, and so so God Jehovah God said, "I'm going to send judgment to you." Now now the people in of Israel this day they hear God's warning and they say, "So what?" So what? We don't care. And he goes, I, God says, I'm serious. I'm fixing to turn it over. They don't relent. They don't repent. They keep going. God says, I'm fixing to destroy the people I love because their sin is before me. He's told them, it's coming. Be ready. He says, I'm going to give Jerusalem over. I'm going to give the city over. The city in which I love, the city in which I, I love the people of, I'm going to give it over because their sin is ever before me. It's a great text. You should read it. But in Ezekiel chapter 22, in Ezekiel chapter 22, God says he's looking for a specific man. A specific man. Now, being a father is is a, a tough gig. In fact, I've got a slide that my first day being a father, bam, there it was. That was a year ago yesterday. My, my son stepped into our world. And you, like, people told me, and just as they told you, like, you know, when you have a child, everything changes. Everything changes. And I was, you know, you hear that, and you're like, yeah, we know everything's going to change. We didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know how fast time was going to escalate. We didn't know how little sleep we were going to sleep for the next year. Um, if so, I would have hibernated six months before that picture was taken. You just would have, I'd have been asleep the whole time. Didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know what to expect. We, we read books. We had talked to people. We had, we had seen people with children. But until you take one home, I remember that first afternoon we got Caleb home from the hospital. We had left. We had checked out. You know, when you're at the, the, the hospital, there's nurses everywhere helping, lending a helping hand. They'll come even change diapers. And you're like, yes. You get home, the nurses don't go with you. Learn that the hard way. You call for people, and they're like, no, ain't nobody coming. It's your diaper. Ezekiel chapter 22, starting in verse 30. The Lord is speaking, and he says, I have sought for a man among them who should build up the wall, stand in the breach before me. For the land, I should not destroy it, but I have found none. I have found none. That text, that, that word breach, standing in the gap, God is looking for a man who will stand up, who will build protection around what God has given him to possess, and he will stand in the gap. That's our prayer for fathers today. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. May it find resting place in our soul. God, we ask that you would give us a heart of worship and a heart to minister to our families as men. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I grew up in, in a culture, and I didn't really have uh, the best biblical models for me growing up. I didn't see my dad minister to me as, as a, a man that loved Jesus and then poured out. I never saw that. 
um, my, my dad, I, I'm still at, at 14. I was kind of the spiritual leader of the home, and that, that dynamic has just never really changed for me. And, and so I never got to experience um, maybe what a biblical dad would look like. And so I watched TV like you did, right? And I, and I saw dads like this one that's going to come up on the screen, right? I saw him on TV, and I thought, well, maybe this is what a dad is supposed to do. He kind of sits out back and, and drinks beer, and, and maybe that's what dads are supposed to do. And, and then I met this dad right here, and I was like, all right, Uncle Phil, I hear you. He was able to get Will in line, right? And so I was like, okay, well, maybe this is what fatherhood would look like. And then I met this dad right here, and I'm like, the Brady, bum, bum, bum. And I'm like, I don't even know how to deal with that many kids, so I, I skipped that channel and went to this dad, and that was one of my favorites, right? Tool time. Right? We love tool time at my house. And, and then met this dad, and he became one of my favorites. Became one of my favorites. Most of us gained some type of perspective about fatherhood or, or about parenting in general from either our own experiences with our parents or the 80 and 90 sitcoms that we all watched. But as a man following after the heartbeat of Jesus, the best guide for us isn't Nickelodeon these days. That's the only place you can find classic gold. The best advice I can give for fathers today is is be gospel-centered in your ability to lead. A gospel-centered man has to learn to trust. A gospel-centered man has to learn to trust. He has to trust the Lord for his salvation. He has to trust the Lord for his salvation. You can't be a godly dad and be lost. You can't be. You cannot serve well. You can't lead your family you can't do all that God has placed in your heart if you're not following the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. The Apostle Paul is telling them, that salvation you are given, you, you have to begin to trust that. You have to begin to, to be able to put stock in the fact that the Lord has saved you, and that's the foundation at which you're going to parent. That's the foundation at which you're going to lead. Now, the, the dad in, in the house, listen, I know we talked three weeks ago when we started this series. I made the statement, men and women, although created equal, were cr created for different purposes. You remember that. I, believe, I don't believe man is, is a, a superior being to the woman, but I believe God has given him the hat of leadership. And we even talked about how, like, I'm not even sure I want that. Like, that, that's a hard job that God has given the man to lead. Because a lot of times you're leading and you cannot see where you're leading. You cannot see where you're going, but God has given you. If you don't learn to trust in the salvation that God has provided for you, you will never lead your family effectively. You'll never lead your family well. And for some of you, you, we've got grandparents and aunts and uncles. And, and for some of you, you're going to have to step into to family members' lives and begin to lead in a godly way because you may be the only gospel light they ever see. Some of the kids we end up raising are not our own. After a decade of student ministry, one thing I began to notice is, is for a lot of our students that we had dealt with uh, across Mississippi and Louisiana, um, most of them didn't have mama and daddies. Most of them didn't have mama and daddies in the home, and most of them didn't have mamas and daddies that loved Jesus. And so they clung to us like we were Velcro. Because I believe, and I, I, I affirm this completely, I believe that teenagers are growing up and they want to see 
a, a couple love one another and point each other to Christ. Like whether they'd ever admit that or vocalize that, they're drawn to it like a, light, like a mosquito to a light at night. Um, you, you, they want to see that, that this thing, this marriage thing works. I grew up in a broken home. My, my parents split when I was very small. And I remember that tug of war back and forth over my affections and soul. Kids want to know that, hey, this, this, thing, you, this thing can be made. This, this marriage thing can work and that there, there are roles for the father. And so a, a man has to trust in Jesus for a salvation, but also for his strength. And listen to me, man, this is the hardest one for me. Like, I want to be able to stand up here and be like, I've got this. Look how strong I am. I've got this. Look how able I am. But at my very best, I'm weak. At my very best, I'm insignificant. And yet, Isaiah 40, 30 through 31 said, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Listen to the back half of this promise out of Isaiah. But for those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strengths and they'll mount up on wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary and they will walk and not grow faint. For a dad, we've got to learn that our strength isn't in our ability. It's not in how often we hit the gym. It's not in how much coffee we can consume. Our strength must be found in the Lord Jesus. But also, not only our salvation and our strength, but our supply. Everything that we're able to give has to be from the Lord. The Lord is a great provider. He says he's, he's cautious about the birds in the air, and, and they never go hungry. And so he's provided for you. And so we get our supply. All that I'm able to pour into my family comes from the Lord. Any wisdom that I have, any strength that I have, it all comes from the Lord. And the fourth one is we, we rely and we trust in a wisdom that's out of this world. Being a parent, I learned first week, you've got to make hard calls. Being a dad that God has placed me head over my family, I have to make tough calls. I have to use some wisdom that I didn't even know I possess. There's times when, when I want to do something. And listen, and, and men, I know we get selfish. Now, ladies, y'all don't listen to this part. Because y'all ain't heard this yet. And I'm getting to you next week. Men have a tendency to go selfish quick. Right? If you don't believe me, give a man a credit card and say, hey, run a Bass Pro Shop and get one thing. He ain't coming home with one thing. Right? Like, I have a wish list of things that I wish I had. Right? And like, I will, I will research, and it drives my wife, she's not even in here, so y'all ain't gonna tell her this. It drives her crazy because like I'll begin to research something I'll be like you know I think I could use that a tool I don't have enough tools for anything I always need more this one tool will cut this way and I don't have that I've got to have it. I'll begin to research it and by the time I've done researching it I want that thing so bad and you've got to be able as a father you've got to be as a man that God has placed over your home to to father the children and to lead your wife spiritually you've got to be able to say but you know what that boy's going to need shoes next week. And as a dad, like, I, I think now. Like, I'm not often guilty of thinking five steps down the road. I'm thinking, what's going to get us through today? And as a father, you've got to be able to use wisdom to be able to know, hey, this is coming. And it's not just finances. It's, it's, it's the whole thing. It's, it's being able to, to parent in a way that's going to grow my child. Listen, I, I used to think, well, I want my kid, Mickey. I used to tell, well, I, I want him, I want him to grow up and be a huge football player. 
I don't know why I thought that. I'm, I'm five, nine and a half, five, ten with shoes on. I'm like, who's he going to play football for? You know, he's going to be short, bless his soul. Now I, I've changed, having a child kind of changed that for me. Now I don't want my child to grow up and be the, the greatest of all that. I don't care if he ever does anything athletic. I don't care if he ever swings a golf club. I want him to love Jesus. That's it. The only thing, and, and eventually be self-sufficient. Like I don't want him... If, he, if he's 50 and still living at home, that's on me, all right? I want him to love Jesus. I want his heart to be after Jesus. And you know how he's going to experience that? I can preach to him, and when I preach to him, he tries to preach back. He's going to see Jesus the way I live my life. I grew up watching my parents profess a Christ that never transformed their life. They professed it, Lord. They, they say, hey, we're, we're believers. But that, that never has come out in the way they live. And yet Jesus said, you'll know the tree by its fruit. I want him to see Christ in me. I go to bed every night with him, and I pray the exact same prayer over my son. I pray it every night. By the time he's two, he'll be able to pray it back to me, I, I hope. The same prayer, it's very short. I, I'm not very theological when it comes to praying over my child. I say, Lord, bless my son. Give him rest tonight that he may play tomorrow. Use him for your kingdom. Show me how to be the father that will lead him to Christ. That's my prayer every night over my son. I need the wisdom of the Lord. I have to trust and learn in wisdom that I can't even possess on my own. But I trust in it because God is a greater father than I could ever be. So we trust him for his wisdom, but a gospel-centered man must also learn to lead. A gospel-centered man must also learn to lead. This is difficult for us. This is difficult. Are y'all warm? Is it warm in here? Y'all going to fire me if I take this thing off? Okay. A gospel-centered man must learn to lead. And, and what I mean by that is, is you don't just stay, like you don't just come in and, and, and you say, I'm leading this family. Like, if I walk into my house today and I just kick in the door and I say, Katie, I'm home, sandwich, she's not going to respond to me very positively. Like That's not me leading my home. That's me coming in as some type of dictator, and it's going to go bad. My neighbors, they will hear that fight if I walk in and say, Katie, sandwich now. Um, they will hear gunshots, and my wife's a very good shot. All right, You don't walk in and lead that way. That's not what God calls you to do. You walk in making, making, number one, a biblical sense for everything we do. So in our home, things we ask is, is what is the biblical mandate? Like we're, we're making decisions now that we never thought we would have to make, and we're asking, what is the biblical mandate? I must lead through the Bible. God has given me a lens to look through, and this is how we operate. This is how we're going. We trust in Jesus. Well, we're, we're off the rails today. A gospel, we, we learn to lead. It starts looking through that lens but I have to start as a man with my flesh. I have to start as a man. If I can't lead my flesh, I can't lead my family. If I can't lead my flesh, I can't lead my family. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit that you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of your flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. He tells them, he says... For these things are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing the things you want. Galatians 2.20 says a very similar concept. He says, the Apostle Paul writes, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me, and he gave himself for me. As a man leading my home, I have to have my flesh crucified. If I walk in the flesh, if I walk in the flesh, then it becomes about me. And I don't lead a family for me. I don't lead a family to get what I want. I don't lead a family to, to answer my desires. I lead a family because God has placed me head of the family. And I am ultimately responsible. This is the heavy part. This is it. So if you haven't listened, tune in right here. This is the heavy part. Because as men, when we stand before Jesus one day, this is what he's going to ask about. Your sins are forgiven. But what you do with what God has given you, you will answer for. And how you minister to your family, I think it's going to be on top of the list. I think it's going to be on top of the list. I believe God is very concerned. Because listen, God established the family in Genesis. He didn't establish the church till Acts. So we went thousands of years without the entity of the church. And how do you think the gospel progressed? It was through the family. God's never designed the church to be the agent or the mechanism for discipleship. It wasn't designed for that. Because the understanding was that the discipleship was going to happen under your roof. It didn't have to happen in the church. Because people were going to be making disciples of their children. So it's a gospel-centered man learns to lead his flesh he also learns to lead his family. This isn't a privilege. This is a responsibility. When I see dads jump out of the family, there's nothing more that, that irritates me as an evangelical. A deadbeat dad, I can't, it, it does something. I, like I, have to str I struggle with the flesh. Right? I, I struggle there when I see a dad who leaves his family because I don't care how bad the situation is. I don't care how bad the deal is. A dad is there for the lifetime. A dad is there. I, I never have to think, is my dad going to be around? No. Like I know even my dad who, who is not perfect. He wasn't on the list of, of famous dads, but I know I can call my dad and he's there. When, he, when I see dads disappear, when I see dads disappear, I can't, those aren't men. That's how I rationalize it in my head. It doesn't take much of a man to biologically make a child. Doesn't take much of a man at all. But it takes one heck of a man to stand in the gap. To stand there when it's hard. To stand there when, when, when you're without sleep and you're exhausted and you've got to make decisions and you've got to be at work the next morning. To stand in the gap when the family, when the weight of, of the family is upon you and yet you continue to strive. It takes an incredible man. And it takes one following after the Lord. You lead your family because God has called you to. Remember that, that Eli, he couldn't run the temple in the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Eli, he was trying, uh, he, he did all of these great things and they thought he was just one of the greatest men of all, but his demise was he couldn't run his family. He failed to lead his family and his life crumbled. King David had one of the greatest kingdoms of all times. Even, even historians will believe that, that, that what King David was able to do in the Old Testament was one of the greatest feats of all, and yet his children were at his demise because he could not lead 
his family. As gospel-centered men, we must also learn to lead lost people. We must learn to lead lost people. And you're like, what does this have to do with being a dad? It's a holistic picture of what God's called you to do. If my son never sees me lead someone to Christ, then everything I tell him about the importance of leading people to Christ is a lie. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of your parents said something similar to this? Do as I say, not as I do. Anybody have a mama like that? Okay, we in church, we can be honest, okay. I'm just making sure y'all looking at me like I didn't know what I was talking about. When we hear that as children, you didn't hear what she said, you saw what she did. So like when she's on the interstate running 95 and she's like, do as I say, not as I do, you're thinking it's now okay to go 95. That's all you saw, that's all you heard. If I tell my son it's important to make disciples, but he never sees me make a disciple, then it's not important. If I tell my son it's important to love, to love your wife, I, he, he needs to see me love my wife. If I tell him these things are important, he has to see it or else there's a disconnect. And so if I tell him that we're concerned with lost people, but he never sees me engage lost people, it's the same thing. He won't see me as being a truthful, honest parent if there's gaps in between what I say and what I do. Lastly, this morning, a gospel-centered man must learn to love. Must learn to love. Now, this love is a little different. When you start thinking of of love in a biblical concept is a little bit different than this emotional thing that we're selling on TV. You must first learn to love the Father. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was wanting the church to know about love, and he told them, he says, if I speak of the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and, and if I have faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but I do not love, I gain nothing. As men, we must first learn to love the Father. Let's first learn to love the Father and let that be the catalyst at which all love is produced. I can't love Caleb the way God has intended me to love Caleb if I don't love Jehovah God. I cannot love my wife the way God has called a husband to love his wife if I don't love the Father first. It's impossible. I, I can't even muster. I can't even have the ability. But when I love the Father... I can love like the Father loves. When I engage the Father and I understand who the Father is that we're following, God Almighty, that we're following in this path, when I understand who He is and what He's called me to do, I can love and I can do what He's called me to do. It's not of my own ability, but I am, I am using transfer power that I get from the Father. So we learn to love the Father, but we also begin to love His family. A man has to learn to love his family. And this is difficult. Not every day is it easy to love, but remember, love's a choice, not an emotion. Love is unconditional. 
When we talk about loving our families, we, we don't put parameters around them and say, as long as you stay in this box, I will love you. Any parents in the house today admit your child did something at some point that you wish they didn't? Like, if, if you've got more than a week old, he's done it, all right? There's always things that, that a child will do or a family will do that you'll say, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. I wish you would, I wish he wouldn't make that decision. I wish he wouldn't talk like that. I wish he wouldn't do that. But our love isn't confined based off a of response of people. We love unconditionally. We love unconditionally. I mean, there's nothing that my son could ever come in and say to me. There's nothing he could come in and ever do that I would love him any less. I, I, there may be moments where I'm not as proud of him. There may be moments where I wish he would have a different response to something, but my love never changes. It's unconditional. It never ends. A love never ends. When, when they handed that child to his mother in our delivery room that day, love, love never ends. That spurred something and it has never changed. It will go forever. I'm confident that we'll stand in glory one day and we will get to experience a love before the Father with our Son. And that will be the greatest capitalizing moment of this love. And it proves it never ends. Love always wins. Love always wins. As a, as a dad, as a man that God's placed over the home, I have to lead in love. I have to lead in love. And this isn't just saying I love you, although men, listen to me. You would probably go further if you told your spouse and your children you loved them. It'd just probably help out a lot more. I, I tell my wife every morning as she leaves, I love you. Have a great day. And it becomes, and I know, like, you're like, yes, but that just becomes me. And I, like, I've got morning breath. And, like, we're not even close to each other at this point, right? Because, like, I'm still in the bed. She leaves way before I do. We always communicate our love. But listen, if we don't show that, if it's just communication but not action, it looks empty. For love to always win, there has to be something behind it. There has to be something behind it. So, guys, again, ladies, turn this off. Because they may come home and do this this afternoon. This is what I do. I'm helping you out today. You ain't, you ain't taking notes in 13 years. Write this down. As a father who is over at my home, I still date my wife. I still date my wife. I try my hardest not to let marriage and a child completely wreck any type of romantic relationship that we have. Because it's difficult. Like, I, I work like you do. Like, put in 50 hours a week and there's still more to do. The phone never quits ringing. There's always emails to respond to. And she's got her own job. There's parents calling her about all these things going on. And all. If we don't intentionally make the time, somebody will intentionally take the time. So I date my wife. Doesn't happen as often as we wish. But, but at least once a month is date night. We're out. We'll hire a sitter. We'll spend the money. And we go on a date. I intentionally do things for my wife that I, that I know that number one she knows I hate doing but I do them because I love her and I want to be a blessing to her so like when, when Kayla blows out a diaper baby I got it I got it when things are there are things that I can do that I know that my wife would appreciate and value I stand in the gap 
I stand in the gap. Is it fun in the gap? No, not normally. But it's where God's called the men to stand. As the father of my home, as the head of my house, it's my job to protect the house. Physically. So when that noise happens outside the window, like I don't look at Katie and go, go figure that out. I roll down the stairs like Rambo. Not only physically, but spiritually. I guard my home spiritually. I pray over my wife and son every day. And listen, you may be in here today, men, and you're like, I don't know how to do that. Listen, I'm not asking you to come in and be Charles Spurgeon. I'm not asking you to come in and be Adrian Rogers. I'm asking you to pray over your family. I'm asking you to, to pray and begin to spiritually lead them. As a family, we sit down and we have devotion. And it's not like I don't, I don't crack open the family Bible and, like, and I've got notepads and iPads and I'm looking at Caleb and be like, you're going to exegete this verse today. I don't say that. I, I, I show him, here's, here's the Bible. And he knows that what this book is. He doesn't know the intent. Like, he's like paper, right? And, and so like, we read it and we pray as a family. It's small. It takes seven minutes a week. Seven minutes. I'm not asking you to come in and... and do Greek evangelical work with your family. I'm asking you to love them and let them see the value of Christ in you. Let them see that, that because you follow Jesus, you're different. Let them see that church isn't something that we do on Sunday, but it's something we live seven days a week. He loves the Father, he loves his family, but then he loves his church. A gospel-centered man will show his family the value of church. Here's how he's going to do this. He's going to be present. He's going to be present. Have you guys noticed, I may have let the cat out of the bag on this one a couple of weeks ago. Have you guys noticed Mother's Day is coming up in a couple of weeks. We love Mother's Day around here. Mother's Day, the place is packed. Kind of like Easter last week, kind of standing room only. Father's Day, well, you can park right out in front of the door. Have y'all noticed that? As a gospel-centered dad, your kids need to know church matters. And it's not just something that you do when deer season's not in. It's not something you do when the fish aren't biting or when it's too wet to go play golf. Church matters, and we're here all the time. We're here all the time. You be present. But not just show up and look like, like we're passing out lemons when you come in the door. Like Not just show up and look miserable, but you, as a dad, need to lead in worship. You as a dad need to lead in worship. Now listen, I know, I know men, I know we don't like that. All right? when, 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 when men come and they're like, I don't like being emotional and I don't like doing this. And, and, and I would call that maybe a lie, but we can, that's a sermon for another day. Um, as men, we must lead in worship. Our kids need to see that, that this isn't just something we're sitting there looking at miserably. I wish he would hush for an hour and then we're going to a buffet. But they need to see that we're engaged in church. They need to see that this matters. This makes a difference. This isn't just something that we're doing. It's important. Because it's only the things that they value. Listen, I'm going to share a secret with you. I've never told anyone. I really don't like deer hunting. Can I say that? And be in Alabama and be okay. Like, if my dad didn't deer hunt... I'd never go deer hunt another day. Like, I'm sitting out in the woods, hoping. Like, that's what deer hunting is. 
It's not deer hunting. It's deer hoping. You hope one comes out. I can catch one with my truck driving home any afternoon. I see them all the time. Like, I'm just not that big of a deer hunter. But it's because of him. Because he values it, so it's something that I placed value in. If a dad would value church, and it's more than just something we're forced to show up, but it's something that we're getting, we're getting life from. It's something that we're getting value out of. When our kids see that, they're going to see the importance in it. They're going to see that and be like, hey, you know, I started going to church because my dad valued that. I wanted to go to church because I saw the joy that came over my dad's face when he worshiped his creator. Be present, be a worshipful man, but also be a leader. Your child needs to see you step out in faith. Your child needs to see you step out in faith. They need to see that, that this is something that you're willing to take a stand on. This is a place you're willing to invest in. This isn't a place you pass through, but this is a place you've planted roots. And come wind or storm, you're going to be there, and you're going to be leading. You're going to be leading. One of the prayers I prayed often as a child is, I wish my father would lead our home. At 14 years old, that was my prayer. I wish my father would lead our home. Your family needs to see you lead. Your family needs to see you stand in the gap and protect them from evil. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word today. Lord, we pray as, as we've talked about fatherhood and what that looks like from a gospel-centric standpoint, Father, we, I, I am quick to admit to you, Father, I'm not perfect in this. I am quick to admit that I have failures when it comes to leading there's moments where I get selfish. There's moments where my desire for the flesh overcomes my ability to lead in the ways of the Lord. And so I am not expecting any man in here to have this perfected. But our prayer this morning is that it would spur something that would desire them to engage the family. Father, that they wouldn't just go home from church and check out, and, but they would think, how can I lead my family? How can I lead what God has given me? How can I lead under the provision of the scriptures? Father, I pray that, that men would repent for being lazy, as I need to. Father, I pray that men would stop giving excuses of why they can't and stop and start looking for opportunities to lead their families. Forgive us when we become complacent. Forgive us when we become to the point where we just wish someone else would do it. And may we stand up to the task that you've given us. Father, if there's someone in here who says, I can't lead my family because I'm not a believer, because I'm not trusting in Jesus today, God, give them the ability and the grace to come down and receive salvation. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Will you stand?